Roman Harper, Kyle Bailey, T. Stead. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's go. Welcome to the clubhouse. We be giving love out. Welcome to the clubhouse. We be giving love out. But if we catch you slipping, man, we gon' have to call you out. Welcome to the clubhouse. We be giving love out. Kyle Bailey, Roman Harper, ain't nobody smarter. Keep it real, regardless. Make sure you go harder, then go even harder for your sons and daughters. Turn this to a party. We just getting started. Welcome to the clubhouse. We be giving love out. Welcome to the clubhouse. We be giving love out. But if we catch you slipping, man. We gon' have to call you out. Welcome to the clubhouse. We be giving love out. Kyle Bailey, Roman Harper, ain't nobody smarter. Keep it real, regardless. Make sure you go harder, then go even harder for your sons and daughters. Turn this to a party. We just getting started. Welcome to the clubhouse. We be giving love out. Welcome to the clubhouse. We be giving love out. But if we catch you slipping, man, we gon' have to call you out. Welcome to the clubhouse. We be giving love out. Now that. That's opening bed music right there. I don't know that I've ever felt cooler than coming into my own podcast that Teron Armstead has produced the open to the podcast right there. I mean, Roman Harper, you set this up. Your boy Teron Armstead, he hooked us up with that open right there. I, that is the pinnacle of my career. I don't even know what else to say. That's, <laughs> hey, man, we're going to keep elevating from here. Look, Teron, he's been doing music for a while. I was uh, – look, so after the Carolina – versus the Saints game, the last game of the regular season uh, in Carolina. I was in the Saints locker room. They had their club, the Saint, da-da-da, like normal. It was actually Sean Payton's birthday. Yeah. And um, next you know, Fast Freddy, the uh, player guy, player rep, uh, the player development guy for the Saints was there, and he does the little music and stuff, and they had him in the speakers. And this song comes on, and I'd never heard it before. I'm like, man, but it sounded like New Orleans beat. It had a little something-something to it. I'm like, who is that? And Fast Freddy was like, oh, that's Teron. I'm like, Armstead? <laughs> He's like, yeah, dog. Like, he made his own, like, he made us a song. And, like, going, I'm like, I like it. Right? So then from there, I, I started going up to him, and we were talking, and he's like, yeah, he's doing this, this, this. I'm like, Teron, you'll be great. Like, could you maybe, like, hook me and my boy Kyle up? We're doing a podcast. He's like, oh, for sure, homie, as soon as I get done with the Pro Bowl. So <laughs> he, did, like, went to the Pro Bowl, balled out, came back. He just sent it to me. I was like, dude, you the plug, bro. I Absolutely, appreciate that. Man, man bringing straight heat to us. It, it, it's good to be back. Welcome back. Episode three, Kyle Bailey, Roman Harper. This is the Clubhouse Podcast. And what you just heard there, the music coming back in. We didn't have that for the first two episodes. No, we did not. But we got it now. And that is a, an original production of uh, New Orleans Saints offensive tackle, two-time pro bowler, Teron Armstead, making us some custom podcast music. I Fastest love it. Fastest 40 by any offensive lineman in the con- NFL combine history. So. History. What do you run? Like a four six. Dear God, people aren't <laughs> guys his size are not supposed to move that way. No, he was moving. I was on the I air. Had like a small school too. Uh, uh, it's not Bethune Cookman. I don't think. No, maybe. it was Arkansas Pine Bluff. Arkansas Pine Bluff. Yeah, yeah, I, I, unreal. I mean, yeah. but but again, I'm watching the NFL Combine stuff yesterday as I'm on the air here in Charlotte. It's uh, me and Corey Miller. For those that might not, you know, be in Charlotte or might not listen to us on a daily basis, uh, Corey Miller played in the NFL for a decade. Played for the Giants. Pastor Payne. Uh, remind me to tell you the the Lawrence Taylor stories he told me. <laughs> Unbelievable. But we're we're on the air yesterday, and we look up and Makai Becton, the offensive tackle out of Louisville, is about to run the forty. Now Makai Becton, six seven, three sixty five, is a humongous human and being. This man ran a five one forty. You know, now five one doesn't sound like a whole lot to people, but when you're six seven three sixty five and you're moving like that, I mean that's that's terrifying. That is 
scary, all right? And look, and I've only been scared of one player, and I always tell you guys who it is. So, um, And I'm not going to talk about it now. Okay. All right, but – Well, now you brought it up. you got to talk about it. Well – I mean, the people out there that are listening need to know. The left tackle for the Washington Redskins. Yeah. It's pretty scary. Yeah. Though. All right, I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> all, right. all right, so so then, all right, but – and when I heard the, the, the people uh, that were calling it, the, the run talking during the 40, they were like, look, when this guy down blocks – he just takes people with him. He just everybody that's in the way, they he just takes them with him. I couldn't imagine this guy on a double team block, what he would do to somebody. And by the way, can you imagine? Like, is there a more useless drill at the NFL Combine than making a left tackle run a forty yard dash? Well, I think they do the ten yard split, and the, and then it's just a way to separate guys. But that was right? what was more impressive. He did. He, it was a one eight ten for him. Oh, he was moving explosive. Yes. Yeah. Like I said, I said yesterday, as I'm on the air. First of all, we call in or we're doing the show. And, you know, if you listen to the first two episodes of this podcast, me and Rome were kind of giddy that we got to say some dirty words on a podcast just because we could. No doubt. But we both know that our mamas are listening to this podcast, so we're not going to do it that often. Yeah, yeah. But I, I texted you during the show. So we're on the air yesterday. We watch it happen. Corey and I start talking about it live on the air. We take a phone call from a listener, a guy named Robert, who calls in. He goes, what, did you just say that he ran a 5-1? God damn, that's fast. And I, we had to dump him. And like I had to hang up on him. Be like, dude, you can't say that, but you're exactly right. That's the appropriate reaction to what just happened. And and I'm, it doesn't make any sense. And I said, look, whenever we have to, whenever we have to fight the aliens and the robots at some point, we need a thousand Makai Beckton's out there to help us out. And you know what? So th- look, so you got the Makai Beckton's out there, right? Who looks really good. That's like a great picture of a big man running. Yes. Right. Then you got the bad ones, like that's stuck in my memory forever, right? Like certain guys that ran a 40 that should not have had their shirt off, right? <laughs> and you got stuff moving and going. Uh, Mount and Cody? He, uh, Mount Cody was one. Andres Pete was another guy. Yeah. And, like, they had a couple of other guys. But, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, certain guys – like, that is the separator. So, really, that's the only reason they're out there is really – the same thing when you see punters and kickers running 40s. I'm like, who cares what they run? I be, no, I agree with you. But just, then we just had a punter put up 225, 25 times. Kid from Arizona State. I mean, he's just showing out. I mean, that's what they do. So those guys that can run, get up there and run. And I, it's just amazing to see how better the athletes are getting year in, year out. They're getting bigger, faster. And, look, when I saw the guy from Louisville, the left tackle, when that, I saw highlights of him just blocking, I was like, this dude looks a little big and sloppy. Like, is he going to be able to move? Is he going to be able to, you know, how is he going to transition? And then when I saw that, I'm like, oh, he'll be just fine. He'll be just fine. Now he's just moving up in the draft boards because people, I don't care. People draft on numbers, and a lot of these NFL experts, when it comes down to it, they just say, all right, well, this guy's this guy. They're both first-rounders. All right, what do you run to 40? Okay, we'll take him because yeah. that is what they're projecting on. It's explosive athleticism. It's utterly ridiculous. But so, you know, we, we got some great stuff to get to here in this podcast coming up in just a little bit. Sean McDermott, uh, head coach of the Buffalo Bills, former defensive coordinator with both the Carolina Panthers and the Philadelphia Eagles. But with the Panthers, uh, you and Sean McDermott and, and that whole 2015 crew made a run to the Super Bowl. So it's your former D.C. that we're going to talk to in a couple of Man, minutes. Man, you know what? I love Sean now as a, as a person, as a coach, uh, how he's continued to evolve. He never settles his competitive competitiveness but is, yeah, but but there's a but I, coming i hated him as my coach at times oh my god <laughs> he was like the annoying <laughs> nat guy because he's like one of those rah rah like try hard guys because he walked on he was he'll tell you that he, he had to do everything he could to scratch claw to be the best that he could so that is the standard in which he holds everybody to and wants to see everybody so if you're not that type of guy i me that's like all right i got it coach i got it mm-hmm. i got it yeah. all right you don't have to keep telling me I got it. Just let me do me. And eventually, 
I, I think 2014 was a great learning year because we didn't know each other as well. And then by 15, he was just like, all right, boss, I know, I know, you got it, you got it, I know. So we had our back and forth, and just the way he molded that defense around us, he continued to give up the power and let the players really dictate what we were doing out there, giving Luke a lot of ability to be able to check calls and things like that, trusting the secondary in the back half. Because, look, between me, Coach Wilkes, Steve Wilkes, and Sean McDermott, who's naturally a defensive back guy as well, who's a DB coach at heart, like, it's a lot of minds in that room that are, like, bouncing ideas off each other. Who wants it this way? Who wants it that way? Well, I'm a player. I want it my way because I'm the one that's playing the game, coach. So what are you talking about? So it's a lot of these things always back and forth behind the scenes that nobody ever will know. But we had a great time, and winning heals everything. No question. When you win, it doesn't even matter. And we're able to come together as men, uh, talk about those things, and, and all get it handled, man. It was really good, and we were so successful together. Yep, no doubt. So we'll have Sean in a couple of minutes. And the cool thing about Sean, well, there's many cool things about this conversation, but the fact that there is, there's this very uh, quietly growing pipeline from William and Mary into the <laughs> NFL. Mike Tomlin, head coach of the Steelers, and Sean McDermott, head coach of the Bills, they were teammates at William and Mary. Yes, they New were. Carolina Panthers offensive coordinator Joe Brady played at William and Mary. And I'll throw a shout out to a local beat writer, but you know, he works for the athletic. Joe Person was a walk on tight end uh, at William and Mary. So you know, walk on life is hard now. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so shout out to Joe. But the tribe are are very quietly creating a, a really impressive NFL pipeline. But before we get to all that, you and I got a couple things we want to touch on. And the thing I want to start with is I think something that we all kind of expected but probably didn't think the number would be what it is. Uh, the news started leaking out this morning, that, uh, or I guess late last night, that Tony Romo has re-upped with CBS to stay with Jim Nance as part of their A-team broadcast crew on the NFL on CBS. And Tony Romo is going to bank $17 million a year as the lead color analyst for the NFL on CBS. And there had been some whispers that ESPN was trying to poach him away, but ultimately I think he made the right decision staying with CBS – uh, but $17 million a year. Now, I don't, I don't have an issue with this whatsoever. And there are a lot of people in my mentions and probably that have said something similar to you. Like, you're, you're paying a oh, guy. Oh, yeah, my, my group chat went crazy. Oh, and NFL guys, too, have been talking about this. <laughs> $17 million a year to talk about the game. Panthers guard Trey Turner said it. Michael Thomas of the Saints was on here talking about it this morning, too. Like, everybody's got something to say. But let's put it in perspective real quick. CBS pays, on average, a billion dollars a year to air the NFL. And so paying Tony Romo $17 million is barely, barely a blip on their radar when it comes to paying talent. And quite frankly, we're all worth what somebody's willing to pay us. Yeah, and so it's not, Tony, it's, I'm not offended by this. It's not his fault. I just – look, you know what this is? This is hashtag goals for me and you. We need to be yeah. on like that E team, all right? If yes. this is the A team, yeah. we'll take the E very clearly and make a couple million dollars. Just work like, our way up. We need to do this, just, all right? Just pay me in flights and press box food, and I'm good for now. <laughs> That's all I need, man. That's all we need. That's it, dude. But – Look, man, uh, hats off to Tony Romo for him to be – like, he's making more money than he was quarterbacking, pretty much. Yes. Like, and that is crazy for him to do in such a short amount of time. But And it's it's crazy to think that me and my group chat guys, we were talking like, so CBS really feels that people are watching CBS. They're tuning into CBS that much to watch – to listen to Tony Romo to make $17 million. That's a huge number. I, I mean – I'm not mad at him because, man, that's capitalism at its finest right there in this country right now, this great country that we live in. So this guy's able to do it, man. He's making more than probably seven-eighths of the players. Then he's So if it's 11 guys on 11 guys, he's probably making more than 
10 of them on the field on both sides. Put it in this way, in this perspective. The highest paid running back in the NFL, Ezekiel Elliott, is making just shy of $16 million a year. <laughs> and Tony's going to bank 17 a year to talk about the Quarterbacks, game man. Quarterbacks are still getting broke off in this league. Well, let me say this, though. I, I do think he's an attraction more so than a lot of other broadcasters. Are. I agree. Mo- most broadcast teams you don't care about. You really don't. You know, and there, there will come a time where Tony will have been out of the game long enough that maybe he doesn't have the ability to call out plays ahead of time like he is right now. And let's be real about this, too. Guys like Chris Collinsworth have done that sort of thing before. Yep. You know, and some people don't like it. But the thing that I don't get about the Tony Romo criticism sometimes is that, okay, you think he's laughing too much or playing around too much. Football's supposed to be fun. Yeah. Sports are fun. And that dude is fun to listen to call a game. And he might not be what you're accustomed to. He might not be as polished as you want him to be sometimes. I love it, and I think people. this is reflective of people's response to the way he calls games. People enjoy listening to him call games. I think they do because he gives it from the quarterback's perspective. Look, his mind is still sharp, man. It's very in tune to the game, in tune to the game. All right, he knows what he's looking at. He knows when audibles are coming or when you shift or different things. And he's known, he knows what he's looking at when he's looking at the D lineman and where the quarterback is looking when I want to call a run. I want to opposite to the other side. So when he hears the, the noise and the checks, he knows exactly what they're looking at because those are the same things that he would be looking for when he's looking at that offense and the matchups and things like that. So he's able to break it down. He knows coverages. He knows how to speak to those things. He's not a D lineman or offensive lineman that's talking about the trenches and things like that. Like, that's all good and, and dandy, but people don't look at that. People look at the ball and they follow the ball, and that's where Tony Romo is used to going because he's always with the ball as the quarterback, and he understands where he needs to go and distributes the ball accordingly. So for him to be so successful as a quarterback as he was for the Dallas Cowboys for so long, he's going to be even better as a broadcaster, and he's just showing it, and he's leading the way, man. And he's just somebody that I'm trying to be like uh, as I continue my second career as well. That right. Hey, man, I, if he can do it, I can do it just on the other side from a, a, sa- a secondary and a safety pers- uh, perspective because that I'm just a quarterback on the other side of the ball, so I know exactly what I'm looking at when the offense shifts and when they do opposite and things like that. I just need to continue to work on my game. Look, man, you just give me goals, Tony. I appreciate it, baby. I appreciate it. And, and look, and in golf, too. He, if I can get my golf game up like his, too. That, he's giving me goals, man, seriously. He, he'll, he'll end up on some golf coverage when it's all said and done. And he should because, first of all, of all the, the – like Jim Nance on the Masters, there's nobody better. You know, I, I think Scott Van Pelt doing golf is awesome. I think Joe Buck has really stepped up his game doing some golf coverage for, for Fox now, too. But there's nobody better on golf than Jim Nance. And we know Tony can not only swing the sticks, you know, he tried to qualify for the PGA yeah. Tour. He's a great golfer. And so I think he'll end up on some of that coverage when it's all said and done. You know what? And the, the crazy thing to me about the whole golf thing, it's more about when you're a great announcer for golf, you got to have the right voice. It's got to be soothe, soothing. Yeah. All right. Because, you know, you can't be too loud and too over the top. But. Look, I, I love great announcers. You got to be able to tell a great story and take us back a little bit. But look, man, if you don't have a ball tracker, to me, that's the best thing they've done in golf. Uh, golf coverage is just having the ball flight, just being able to see the golf, the ball tracker. To me, that's what I enjoy. Like, man, look at that ball flight. Yep. Like, look how he hits the ball, it's just so pure. That's what I'm trying to get to. Well, and I'll say this too. First of all, it is it's it is hilarious, but also interesting. Tony Romo played 14 seasons in the NFL. Only three of those 14 seasons did he make more than $17 million a year. I mean, that, that's the kind of post-career money this guy's gotten himself into. But also put this in perspective, too. For those that are saying, you know, is anybody worth $17 million a year to talk about football on TV? Well, there's nothing that's more highly rated or more coveted now on live television than live sports, and especially the NFL. 
And, you know, cable network t- television, broadcast television, never been more fragmented. Every th- all the ratings on everything outside of live sports have gone down. You know, outside of the, uh, the every four years in the political cycle where we'll have debates and, and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, Fox News pays Sean Hannity $36 million a year. Nobody even knows that because NB- they don't talk about it. Right. NBC, before Matt Lauer got himself fired, Matt Lauer was making $20 million a year. Megyn Kelly, before she got bought out of her contract for that mess, $23 million a year. But they're on TV a lot more, too. They, they are. But that's but Tony Romo's part of a, a more highly rated broadcast yeah. than, than a lot of these shows. So when you really put it in perspective, you know, in the billion dollars a year the CBS is paying for the NFL, it's – it is a drop in the bucket, and I know some people don't like that phrase, but relative to the money they're paying to broadcast these games, a billion dollars a year, 17 mil is scratch, man. Look, man, everybody need to get their feelings out there, off their shoulders, man, and understand, like, it ain't your money, all right? I learned it, a long time ago <laughs> to stop pocket watching. You don't, yeah. you don't count somebody else's money. You ain't going to do them but hurt your own feelings, man, when you see somebody out there making so much more money than you and doing a lot less than you. Absolutely. But, I mean, I, I think it's interesting. I look forward to watching him this fall. And there's one more thing I want to get to before we bring in Sean McDermott, and that is – the, uh, the, the news this week, more of it anyway, that uh, NFL players across the league are by and large pushing back, flat out rejecting the uh, proposed CBA that the owners in the NFL have put on the table. And we got one more season to go in the current collective bargaining agreement. The NFL owners came to the table with this proposal and said, our starting point for negotiations is a 17th regular season game. Uh, it was last Friday, or actually just a couple of days ago, I believe, that Aaron Rodgers, at the tail end of my afternoon show in Charlotte, uh, I saw it break across his statement that he pushed out on Twitter saying, uh, for me, the 16-game regular season was never something we were negotiating. No, that's not something that we ever thought we'd need to negotiate. And Richard Sherman saying, nah, it's more about the health and wellness of the men in my locker room. And yep. Russell Wilson speaking out against it. J.J. Watt speaking out against it. You know, it's a really – and you can speak more to this than I can. When you're trying to negotiate a deal on behalf of – 1,500 players in the NFL, it is never going to be an easy thing to do. No, it's not. But I guess for me, you know, from an average fan standpoint, you say, hey, you want some more football? Well, more often than not, they're just going to say, yeah, I like football. I'll watch more football. That's why the XFL exists right now, at least for the time being. Me. But, you know, I know. But, like, the 17th regular season game, do we need it? Is it something that we need to have? No, that's all for the owners to make more money, right? Because – their fans are complaining about having to pay regular season price tickets for their preseason game. So instead of you paying for that one, they're just going to say, all right, instead of that fourth preseason game, we're turning it into a regular season game where now I get to actually pocket the money. We'll make more because fans actually will show up. And that's how they're doing it. They're, you know, concessions, all those other things. That's where they're trying to get that 17th game. And they're going to convert that into money. And now they want to try and give the players, uh, they'll tick them up a little bit in the overall percentage of the revenue pot, right? And but is that enough? Is it really money realized or gained? That's my thing is that, all right, if you're going to give us the 1.5% extra, it's still going to go to the top-tier guys and the quarterbacks until you figure that whole deal out. The guys at the bottom are still going to be making what they're going to make. They're going to bump up the minimums maybe, and everybody's talking about that, but it's just really hard for me to fathom how many guys that are just barely free agent guys or guys that are just barely making it, practice squad and this, that, and other. Yes, they will get an extra boost, but – in the long-term effects of life, does that really make that much of a difference because you have that extra $100,000 for that one year of your life, right? Does yeah. that really make that? Because in the long terms, it, that money's so far and gone, and you have to be smart about it. These guys are not prepared, I don't think, for a lockout. We weren't prepared for it in 2010 either, and they've been talking about it for the last nine years about preparing, preparing, having this stock, this, this money stocked up, 
have your chest, your war chest ready, this, that, and the other, because until these guys are prepared and willing to sit out and miss a game, it's not going to affect the owners. Their, their sheets are still going to go, and they're still going to float. So you have to be able to affect these guys, and I think the owners know that, that they got these players. And I just hope they don't take it because of some of the unwritten rules that they're going to take away from guys that are retired now. They're doing a lot of different things with the, the total and permanent disability funds, all right? And the, you know, if you have Social Security, if, you're, if you collect on Social Security, you can't get total and permanent, in which a lot of guys that are retired, they couldn't get the total and permanent until they got the Social Security part that said you were disability on that side of it, right? So, like, it's really hard to cross over, and the owners are trying to do what they best can. And I know some players are taking advantage of this that probably shouldn't be on it, all right? I'm not one, but um, it's just really tough, man. It's it's always going to be a back-and-forth battle. And, guys, if you any system's set up, somebody's going to take advantage of it. That's just the world we live in. And you're going to have guys that are in need of it that's not getting the proper t- needs and help that they need. It's just um, that's what I'm more concerned with on that side of it. I'm not – I don't have a vote. I'm not in the war room. I'm not in any of those things. I just hope they make the best deal for the players going forward and just understanding these decisions right now. And I've never been in any negotiation table where you take the first offer. Never has that been a great one. Well, and we should also mention it's not just about the 17th game. You know, they, they've also – the owners have tried to slide into this proposal – increased fines for you know missing training yeah. practices and or- like you're going to have to stick with that fine like that's a lot of things that they're floating on the table like you got to get all that off well they, they've made holding out much more punitive you know all, all sorts of things that players are looking at saying no we're not going to do this we're not going to sign this deal because that's the only bit of leverage you have all right and look they're going to want you to show up all right you already got the fifth year option on first round guys Right, so you hold them in another year, then you can franchise them a couple of times. You can do all these things, and that's all to the owners saying, right? So they lock you in, and you can't do anything about it. So the players have to fight for something, and when they offer this, this is their offer. So every time the players want to come back and say, "All right, well, we want to talk about this, this, and this," then they're going to be like, "All right, well, we if we give you this, then we're it's a hard sell on this 17th game." I think I think at the end of the day, the players are going to probably end up giving up on that 17th game. If they don't, then they're going to have to lose. If they stick with 16 games, they're going to lose on a couple other things that I think that they really want, which is some of the retirement benefits and maybe uh, some of these fines. But they cannot allow these fines to continue to stick. It, it's, we talked about this yesterday, again, when I was with Corey Miller, and it ties so well into the conversation about Tony Romo and you know how much networks pay for, you know, for broadcasting the NFL. The owners want this done quickly so they can go shop that 17th game <laughs> to all these different networks, to the streaming platforms and everything else. And so they want to get this sold and make more money. And, you know, it ties into that. It ties into this issue and or this notion of pocket watching and counting somebody else's money. Because as we got into this discussion yesterday, Corey was making the case. He said, look, a lot of these younger guys haven't made very much money in their careers. And as you would expect, you know, guys, regular Joes like, like, like me and the way you grew up are texting into our show saying, oh, I'm so sorry that these guys that are making half a million dollars a year don't have enough money. Well, it costs to be in the league, well, man. It, it does, you know, first and <laughs> foremost. And second of all, once you start factoring in what guys have to pay their agents, mm-hmm. you know, guys spend money on, the, on you know, taking care of their bodies and training and everything else. And let's be real about this, too. A lot of dudes who enter this league come from, you know, really, nothing. Well, nothing. Really and and they, the family debt. Like, I, look, the first time I got a check, Kyle, I paid off my family's debt, right? Right. And it was a great. It was like my parents hit the lottery, right? And to me, it was just a drop in the bucket, but it was huge for them. So those are the things that a lot of kids and, and people want to do because their family has taken care of them for so long. And I get this one thing, like, and to me, it, it, 
I, I thought I was rich and I, I was pretty good, but it wasn't, you know what I mean? So doing those things like that, for, and I'm not the only kid that's done that. So don't, don't think I'm anybody special, but these are the things and the issues because not everybody comes from money. Not everybody comes from a background of like financial stability and, and uh, well, financial. Stop, look, at yeah. your, look at a kid like Javon Kinlaw out, out of South Carolina. His, his story is, is really not that unique. I mean, it's <laughs> exactly, unfortunately right? way too common that the kid, I mean, he's, he's homeless. I almost called him a kid, but I mean, he's, he's an enormous man, you know, but he's homeless, you know, at various points in his life. And, and these guys come from very rough backgrounds sometimes. And so they're not making a great deal of money if they're not a first-round draft pick or a second- or third-round draft pick. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talked about where all the money goes. Never mind the fact that a lot of these dudes are living in cities like D.C., Chicago, L.A., New York, Dallas, where it's really expensive to live. And so, you know, we got the the text you would expect and the calls you would expect from people saying, oh, it's bullshit. You know, these guys, they make so much more. Okay, well, the average NFL career is three and a half years. And if you're fortunate enough or if you've worked yourself into a position – to be able to earn that kind of money, so which very few people do. It, it is hard for the average person to relate, but almost all of them would kill for the opportunity to make as much money as possible in three and a half years if that opportunity presented itself. So it, it's so strange to me because I, I framed it this way yesterday. So many of these people out there listening to us on a daily basis, you know, they're, they're regular Joes, everyday workers, nine to five guys like, like I was for so long. And yes, it's tough for you to relate, but that doesn't change the fact that you know, there needs to be a good deal struck on behalf of yes. both sides. These players don't feel like they're getting it. And I'm always stunned that, that people out there that are so pro-labor, you know, and, and so strongly in support of the, of the working man in just about every other instance oftentimes end up siding with the billionaire class and the owners in these discussions. And I'm like, why? Because they're messing up their Sundays, all right? They don't want to interrupt their TV. I don't want to hear about – Millionaires arguing with billionaires. That's a big thing because we would talk about it right. when we have these labor meetings. And um, so we try and, and keep a lot of that out of their their faces and try and hide that from them because they don't want to hear about it. But the owners are very smart about it and put it out there, right, to make sure because they always know they're going to jump on their side because they want football. And at the end of the day, the owners want football too, but the players want it on our terms at some point in term that where we can feel happy about going out there. I think they should do this because – all right, let's talk about this. Let's break it down. The 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 minimum, right? Five hundred thousand dollars a year. All right, you. So you're gonna lose thirty some percent of that on taxes. So so you're gonna get five hundred. We'll say two seventy five. All right. Then you're gonna pay three percent agent fees or less. All right. Mostly three percent is the highest or whatever. Then now you're gonna have to buy an apartment. So three percent out of two seventy five, and then you get whatever, whatever. They get your signing bonus too. Then you're going to have to buy an apartment. Then you're going to have to probably get a car or anything else you're going to do in gas and then cost of living. you got to have a couple suits. So all these things are starting to ring up. Now, don't have a girlfriend. Maybe I want to go on a couple dates or maybe I want to buy some new clothes. Like money, it, it just kind of goes a lot faster than you think. So after those three years, I don't have $1.5 million of $500,000. I got like a couple hundred thousand dollars left, you know. And now I got to live with that the rest of my life and try to make smart decisions when this is the first time I've ever had money, which most people don't make that type of money to their later on in their careers. Like at 40 some 50 something years old is when they start making the big money where we make it at an early part in our life. And then we got to try and we got we're blessed with this golden egg that we got to hold on to. Yeah. All right. So I think what the NFL, the players should do is start to prepare on the other side. Like, hey, what if we get ready to strike and we take ourselves and say, hey, this is what we would like to do. And we approach people like Apple or some other big streaming networks and say, hey, what if we put out our own, We, you come to us, because we're the product ultimately, yeah. not the owners. 
it's the product that you want to see is us. So why don't we come out there and say, hey, we'll come out here and we'll play for you guys for this amount of number, right? You And now your guys are paying us, and now we have our own network deal set up that's better than the NFL's. Well, I just, again, I don't, I don't expect most people to understand from the player perspective, but it's more along the lines of, uh, just looking for a good deal. You know, that's all. If you're fortunate enough to get in that position, you're just looking for a good deal. That's, that's all it, it man. Is, man. And, and the thing is, is you got so many older guys that are really in tune with what's going on, and you got so many younger guys that don't pay attention to meetings, and they're just trying to get their money because they ain't never had it. Well, so I'm just trying to hurry up and get my money. So hurry up and do whatever I got to do and whatever I got to do to line up because they don't care, and they all think they're going to get their big deal. Everybody thinks they're going to get their big deal. Until they blow out a knee. And then they blow out a knee, or any, and you don't get that deal. 90% of the guys don't get the next big deal. And how many people out there listening, you know, who might even be a little bit inclined to criticize the players here? If you were in the same position, wouldn't want to do the exact same thing. Pay off your parents' debt. Pay off your parents' house. Set up a college fund for your kids. You know, if you watched the Michael Vick 30 for 30 recently, you know a lot of these guys have people they want to take care of because they took care of them. Yep. You know, if you don't know what it's like to grow up on the streets and have people protect you, you know, and help you get through, you know, a very rough time in your life or a difficult place to grow up to help you get to a place where you can take care of those people, it's, it's just about putting yourself in other people's shoes. It's not about understanding what it means to be wealthy or, or having uh, undue sympathy for, you know, people who make millions of dollars a year because they're not all like that. That's no, what man, it boils down to. Not at all, man. You know, I got drafted to New Orleans. I came down there. I bought me a house um, in New Orleans right after Katrina. My mom, I asked my brother to come live with me. I didn't know anybody in New Orleans. And my mom, you know, I'm, I'm doing this. I got a car um, and, you know, I got some new clothes and I'm doing some things. And my mom said, Roman, hey, like, I know you're doing well and your brother's living there with you. He didn't ask you for anything, but, what, like, how do you think it would feel if, like, you know, your brother was living there and all the time he was getting himself stuff, but you didn't have anything new. Right. Right? But you guys are you guys are walking together. You guys are still in the same house. You're doing all these things. Like, what is it? And I was like, you know what? I never really thought about that. Right. Like, so I got to go out of the way to make sure, like, you know, if I got some shoes, like, why wouldn't my brother have another pair of shoes, right? It's only another 70 bucks. And so, like, things like that start to add up. So, And I'm not saying I bought my brother, like, tons of shoes or anything. No. Like, but you want to take care. Look, they, they are representatives of you as well. So you don't want them to look like nothing, and then you're coming out all shining and whatever. You want everybody to be looking presentable. And just uh, we're all the one family because we are a family since day one, right? And we're just not going to change or separate because now I made it and you guys can't. Like, oh, I'm different than you guys. It doesn't work that way. I just want more people to understand that. And, uh, and it's just a different dynamic for so many guys. Yeah, no doubt about it. it it's an interesting conversation and, and one that I'm sure we can continue to have a little bit later. But uh, I, I want to get to it. You know, this is one that you and I have been looking forward to. It's a guy that you've known for a long time. And being that you and I both live here in Charlotte, North Carolina, a lot of people here still know and love Sean McDermott, now the head coach of the Buffalo Bills. Uh, they made the playoffs again this year. They uh, had a very, very hard, gut-wrenching loss to the eventful. Houston Texans. It was an eventful game. Well, they were up, what, 19 nothing, 16 nothing, <laughs> then ended up losing 22-19 to to the uh, Houston a Texans. A very but, eventful game. But, but despite all that, the Buffalo Bills, uh, th- their fortunes have changed quite a bit, and it's due in large part to you know their new GM, Brandon Bean, who also came from the Carolina Panthers, but the head coach, Sean McDermott, former D.C. of the Panthers, Roman Harper's former coach, he's joining us on this week's episode of the Clubhouse Podcast. 
And now, as promised, we welcome on to the Clubhouse Podcast the head coach of the Buffalo Bills entering his fourth season, former defensive coordinator of the Carolina Panthers, the Philadelphia Eagles, and a man who uh, knows Roman Harper quite well. And like the both of us, he is a, uh, a former and I think uh, for a good long while a Charlotte resident. So we got a lot in common and a lot to talk about. Sean McDermott, coach, it's good to have you on the podcast. Thank you for the time. Yeah, great to be with you guys this morning. And uh, uh, it's been a long time coming. I'm glad we could work it out. No doubt. Well, it was funny because as we were uh, as we were getting ready to have this conversation, I was telling you and Roman that I was, you know, watching some things that you'd recently done on the NFL Network, and you know, guys bringing up your past and where you came from. And I was actually, for a lot of reasons, excited to talk to you because you know, on top of all the NFL stuff and the Charlotte connection and how well things are going in Buffalo, your college football coach Jimmy Laycock is one of my favorite people in all of football. And I used to I used to get so excited to interview Jimmy all the time whenever I had the opportunity. And, and, you know, watching you and listening to you and understanding where you came from, it makes all the sense in the world that you've had the success that you've had. And I know Jimmy's very proud of you. What influence did Jimmy play on, on your career, both playing and coaching? Oh, man, he made a, he made a huge impact on my career uh, playing and coaching. And, and it started off as a player just uh, watching how he ran his program. You know, I didn't know it at the time, but I um, was headed towards a career in coaching. But, it, you know, it just, just the way he ran his program, he ran it very similar to a pro style operation uh, organization if you will and and uh you know it was a one double a program but and still is but just the way he went about doing things and and conveying the standard by which he wanted us to to perform on and off the field i think that really gave me a a great foundation moving forward into my professional career. It's so funny that there, I mean, there are so many William and Mary connections now in the NFL. For anybody out there who doesn't know, Mike Tomlin, head coach of the Steelers, also not only part of the tribe, but, you know, you played against him. You played with him in practice, and, you know, you, you shared the, uh, you were on the same roster together, and now Joe Brady, you know, here with the Carolina Panthers as the offensive coordinator, also went to William and Mary, and so on and so forth. Very quietly, uh, you guys are spitting out quite an NFL lineage. Yeah. Yeah, you know, what, what Rome probably doesn't know about me is I used to beat d- 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 people up pretty good on the on the playing field, man. He, he, he probably doesn't know that or he refuses to acknowledge that. But uh, I was a pretty good athlete back in the day. <laughs> no, I was a terrible athlete. I just uh, I just knew where the ball was headed and tried to meet meet people there and cut them off using good angles. But, yeah, we had, you know, we I, again, not just Coach Laycock, but being around good people and building an environment uh, in that program where people can foster and become the best versions of themselves. That, that really helped me. And whether it's Mike Tomlin or other, you know, former tribes, tribesmen over the years that, that have been around and, and, and gave back to that program. It's, it's really a, uh, it's, it was really a great place for me to start. You know, coach, um, and, and you're right. I, I don't believe that you're a great athlete. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know to talk about all the after all these years and that's how I could convince you <laughs> it's not happening <laughs> so so you know you talk about all the the pride in which everything that you you learned from college and your work ethic like coach this just didn't start in college um I, I've got to know you over the years like the, the thing that I take the most from you is just how your work ethic is really what you lead out with that there will be nobody else that works harder than you that puts in the time and the effort and where did that start? Did that start when you were younger? Did you know your parents, your father, like your mom? Because um, that that that's just so different than most people that have been successful when they get to the top where you're at. Like, well, do they ever start to relax? 
Yeah, that's not my vocabulary, as you know me, um, in terms of that word relax, uh, i.e. going out for that walk this morning. Uh, walk turned into a jog. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've, I, uh, I've learned at an early age. I learned those those habits were instilled in me at an early age, Rome, as you know. And uh, growing up in a family where a blue-collar family where work ethic was was what was expected and, and uh, anything less wasn't accepted. And, and so um, that standard was created and instilled in me early. And and that's just how I'm wired. And, and I think you're right. I think a lot of people get to certain points in their career and say, hey, you know, I've done this and I'm just going to kind of downshift, if you will. And and uh, and so, I, you know, I do try and as I've gotten older and wiser, I've tried to establish some some work life balance and quality of life as far as that goes. But I think overall, um, just just that's how I'm wired and that that desire to be the best um is is what one of the great gifts that I think God gave me when I was young. Yeah, and I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. You know, even I got there in after my ninth tenth year, and you know I thought I was good and I wanted to continue to prove more. But hey, when I got there, you guys continue to push and elevate and want want to see more out of us. And I just want to say thank you for that. Not only that, but uh, how do you continue to adjust? Like you you seem to where you continue to build defenses, great defenses around the players that you have, and it's not just always about your system, but you guys continue to evolve. You're doing some different things that I I didn't see when I was in Carolina. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot. You know, you're right. We, we, we've and, I, and I'm a I'm a result and a product of the people I've been around. As I said before, we had a great staff in Carolina, as you know. And mm-hmm. what I've tried to do is is try and find ways to recreate that staff around me in, in, uh, Buffalo. And, and, um, and so it makes my job a whole lot easier. And, and within that, you know, we share, share open, openly ideas. And it, I don't really care. We don't really care where the idea comes from. We really embrace that, that growth mindset. <clears throat> so, um, we continue to challenge one another and we've done some things defensively where we have, uh, change and, and adjusted and evolved. And that's really what I love doing. I mean, I, you want to be a trailblazer, and be out in front of things and um you know the to take a system anymore and to say this is my system and and kind of just be stiff with it and 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 be you know a box is not is not healthy for our players we try and adjust it to your point to the strength of our players whether it's Tremaine Edmonds and uh or Tredavis White and and so uh we did that as you know in Carolina and and we were trying to do that again in Buffalo I'm I'm actually really glad you said Tremaine Edmonds because I, I was of all the things I wanted to ask you about that somehow escaped me. I'm I'm a Virginia Tech guy, so I actually covered all the Edmonds brothers. That's how long I was there. But I can't believe it's three of them in the league. Oh, oh it's incredible. <laughs> and their dad, their dad play. I mean, Farrell was an incredible player as well. Played for the Dolphins, but I mean, Tremaine. I was trying to explain him to people coming out of college coach, and I said just. Think of like a mix between the Predator and the Terminator on the field. Like physically, <laughs> it's it's insane how athletic and gifted this kid. What's it like to coach him, and and what's what's his potential? It's incredible to me. Yeah, you know, I don't think we've I don't think we're anywhere close to his potential. I mean, in the, in his first year, there was a lot of linebackers that came out in his class that got a uh, that got a lot of I guess more um, press. You know, that first season, and the thing that was unique about Tremaine was. You know, he was not playing outside. He was playing inside, and 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 Rome knows what comes with playing inside versus mm-hmm. outside in terms of all the calls, all the checks, all the communication that's necessary, and before you can even um, take a step as a player. And so, um, what we saw in year two was him, him, uh, and his development um, as he continued to get comfortable with not only playing but also the communication and everything that precedes 
him making his plays. Uh, I think in year three, he'll make another jump. And that's what's exciting is you talk about work ethic and the, and the family that he comes from, that great support system that he comes from. There's, that's by no accident that they've had three of their children make it to the NFL and succeed at this level. You know, Coach, uh, you talk about the, the mental load, right, that, that, that Mike Linebacker or some of the safeties have to do in the defense, in your defense. And that was one of the, the biggest things I'll never, I'll never forget when you were recruiting me to come to Carolina. We sitting down, and, you know, you show the picture of me hitting Steve Smith late. That was like, that's what I want here. I want some, <laughs> I want some attitude. I need it. I'm like, all right, I got you. And, you yeah. know, I, I think the, the thing that you did not expect from me was that how much I was able to help uh, lead with the communication part. I didn't know so much communication was so necessary from the Mike linebacker to the safety. Kind of go about that, about the little nuances and just really people don't understand outside of, outside of our room, Coach, how much communication really goes on during the game. Oh, man, it's huge. I mean, I think uh, more games are lost every year in the NFL than are actually won. And some of the, the reasons why they're lost is a, is a breakdown in communication. And, mm-hmm. and uh, listen, everything you hear from – on the battlefield when I hear these, these podcasts uh, from Navy SEALs and that I try and listen to and, and the overlap and, and a lot of successful industries is, is communication, whether it's on the playing field in our case or, or just in business. And so, um, you know, I think that's, that, that was critical. And we needed, in your case, we needed, in, in, in your case, a guy that could come in and, and not only um, really enforce his will on, on the opponent, but also set a standard whereby our communication was what it needed to be and he could quarterback the defense. And that's critical at, in the, at the safety position and at the middle linebacker position. And, you know, last year we brought up uh, Kirk Coleman, as you know, a good friend of yours in and, and Charlotte. And, and by the way, it, it, it gives me great joy to watch you guys still live in Charlotte and, and uh, raise your families. And I think it's really, <clears throat> really cool. So, um, no, it's, it's a critical part of our success on defense and, and, and as an organization. Well, I'm glad you mentioned podcasts because now you can add this one to your rotation, hopefully. <laughs> and then on top of that, yet you said that you're listening to Navy SEALs. Like, can I assume you're listening to Jocko Willink and those guys talk about uh, you know leadership and discipline? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, the, uh, the uh, ownership deal that, that he does and, and his book that he, that he put out there, I mean, I, I subscribe to it. I mean, it's there's a lot of things anymore that, that people talk about that are just not part of our society in terms of traits or, uh, or ingredients, if you will. And uh, I think some of that, um, you know, is big in terms of not only how I live my life, but the, but the standard and, and whereby, you know, and how we do things in Buffalo. I love so, that. so, Coach, are you still passing books around for everybody to read? That's what Coach does. <laughs> That's cool. You get a really good book. Is he still passing books around to make sure everybody reads it so we're all in? And also, Coach, oh, yeah. how did you come up with the playoff standard? Because that is like everything that you do. Like, And I understand you got to have a goal, which is getting <laughs> to the playoffs before you can ever win a championship. Yeah, so we've got this, this uh, standard. You know, everyone talks about um, across the league, hey, he opens up the – the start of the season wanted to win a Super Bowl and and I think that's true everyone does um and but it's to me it's the day-to-day process of how you get there and giving the guys a vision and a daily standard uh that we want to work towards not only on the field again but off the field and how we meet how we talk how we dress um just how we think and and that's 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 that standard of performance and so um it's funny Rome to uh to hear you talk about it because you know when you when you first started when we first started it back in Carolina uh, when you were there and everything, it you know you want to see it come up, you know, kind of get off the ground, and and I think it was a it was a driving force in 
at least uh, from the bottom up and what we're trying to do mm-hmm. on defense and what we were trying to accomplish as a team. And, and now I get, I get texts once in a while from guys that ex players that, that played with you that they say, you know, Hey coach playoff caliber and, and they're not even in the game anymore. So I think, you know, the biggest takeaway is again, it's just a standard uh, by um, for guys and, and hopefully as, as men that, you know, as we lead our families, guys can then take that home uh, or something similar to that standard of performance in the way that they live their lives and the way that they lead their families. See, I, I want to ask about the Bills because, you know, Buffalo Bills and playoffs were, were not exactly synonymous. They didn't go good, the same sentence. Right, they didn't go in the same sentence, you know, and, <laughs> and, and you get up there and you've made the playoffs twice in your first three seasons. It seems like the entire culture's changed up there in Buffalo. When you got up there, what was the first thing you had to do to hit the ground running and, and turn things around in Buffalo? Yeah, we, you know, that, so we, we, we made the playoffs the first year. They hadn't made it for 17 years. And, again, like everything else, um, you know, this is such a people business, and we wanted to get the people part of what we were doing right that first year and, and at least as right as we could uh, with the time that we had. And so we, we really wanted to go in and make sure that we found out and sat down and listened to and got a good feel for uh, the types of people that we had in the building, not just at the player level, but also – also in the building and from a staff standpoint. So, you know, we did a lot. We had to make a lot of hard decisions and unpopular sometimes decisions, but that was a big piece of us getting the culture uh, to where it is today. So, but again, you know, to go up there to a place that so clearly is passionate about that organization, but they've been tortured for a long time. They didn't have that that year-in, year-out success that they could beat their chest about. How cool does that feel to be able to bring that? Hold on, Kyle. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Because let's just be honest. What? Brutally honest. Okay. Coach, the highlights for Buffalo Bills football for many years before you guys was the 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 Bills Mafia in the in the freaking parking lot, people jumping through chairs. <laughs> that was the highlight, right? It had nothing to do with what was going yeah. on the field. So you guys changing that whole thing. How does that make you feel? Where do you you know? How does that come from? Come to fruition? Yeah, really, awesome. a quick Man, a quick turnaround. Awesome. Yeah, Rome, it was awesome. It's, and, and honestly, it's happened quickly. In three years, we made the playoffs yeah. twice, and and you know, every year you got to start over again. And I think that's what. That's what having you uh, and within our walls in Carolina did for did for me and did for all of us was that just keeping keeping us all on the on the straight and narrow and, and that's what we're trying to do in Buffalo. We've got you know more runway in front of us with work to do, um, but you know again it was just it's been so cool honestly to sit back for me and say hey man, it was 17 years and now look what you've been able to be a part of and and uh, it just it just goes back to the people that we brought that brought in everyone's. We've got very few egos, mostly low egos, if any egos, and and when when everyone can embrace that humble and hungry approach and that growth mindset of hey, I don't know everything. I think that happens a lot when hey, we're in the NFL. You kind of get inside the inside the gates, uh, as I used to say down there, and people kind of relax. Well, you can, now's the time to go. Now's the time to continue to to learn and and know that you don't know it all. And and so um, I just again I just I give all the credit to the people in our building and. And our fan base, you guys hit on our fan base, man. It's it's unique. Um, win or lose, they're out there. They're filling the stadium. It's a great atmosphere, um, not only throughout the week, but also on game days. I think game days is what most people see, and they see that passion of those people jumping through the tables, and and they see that. But what they don't see is the is the as much as the Monday through Saturday passion when you know you go to the I go to the gas station and people are just there to, not to bother you, but just to say thanks and. I've never heard so much just genuine gratitude for from a fan base of people just appreciating 
more than anything, the hope that we've brought to the area. And now half of them live in Charlotte, so that's good too, right? That's very good. <laughs> that's very yeah. good. Hey, now, Coach, I got, now you, you're, you're walking yourself into this. Now, i got to just put it out there because it's a podcast and we, we want to get more people listening. Yeah. So if you guys, after you win your second playoff game this year, because I think you can do it, all right, you're going to jump through a table. How about Ooh. that? Yeah. A challenge? <laughs> that, 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 I'm just saying. That's a challenge, man. Rome, you know me too well. Buddy. That's don't, what I know. Don't challenge me now. I know. That's what I'm saying. I'm just challenge. throwing out there. It's all right. Think about it. Just know just know where it came from first. Now, you, you're you talking about you. all these coaching trees, and you come from, you know, you had Andy Reid up on, you know, you've coached from these other guys like William and Mary. Um, so have you ever seen something from a coach? You're like, I know I'm not going to do that when I'm when I'm coaching. <laughs> that's what I want. Don't say a name. You don't have to say a name. That's what I want to know. Like I would time, not go Rome. do that. Rome, you know, you see it. You see it all the time. I mean, you, you, I have heard, learned a lot from the people I've been around. But there's also, I'm sure, like the, my assistants, they they probably watch me sometimes and say, "Hey, there's a lot of good there, but I wouldn't I wouldn't do that if I if I got my shot as a head coach." So, yeah, some of some of similar to, to game planning is some of what's kind of the most important decisions is what you don't do right um and so i I just think consistency is important that the players deserve and want consistency and accountability and uh, they may not say it but at the end of the day um and i've I've said this often that you know sometimes i'm not the most popular or well-liked coach uh but at the end of the day years from now i always wanted my players when they're sitting on that rocking chair on their porch holding their wife's hand to say you know what I'm glad that Sean was my coach I may not have understood at the time and it was hard to hear but he was honest and, and he helped me become a better version of myself and and so you know I know Rome you're sitting on that porch at night with your wife and and uh <laughs> and uh I'm just happy to to, to have coached you man what a, what a class fact you were for us and still are you know everything you're saying I was like you know what I, I feel that way <laughs> <laughs> Hey, let me, I want to ask you about a, another guy that you used to coach because I, I know you got a lot of work to do, and I don't want to keep you all day here. But you know, here in Charlotte, we were all kind of rocked by the news that Luke Keekley was was retiring. It was eight o'clock on a Tuesday night. Not many of us, actually, most of us, certainly didn't expect to open up our phones and see that news. Uh, you coached him for a good long while. You, you and Rome and Luke played in the Super Bowl in 2015. When you heard the news, what was your reaction? And you know, if you could just uh, sum up the best way you know how Luke Keekley's pretty impressive career. Yeah, I mean, you know, I taught him everything he knew. <laughs> That's a sign of great coaching right there. There right? you go. No, I mean, he's uh, he's so, he's so unique. Um, and, and the people of Charlotte, uh, I hope they understand what they just had a chance uh, to witness in terms of how a, a young man um, handles, handles himself off the field. Uh, and then to watch him to be able to flip the switch um, to the to the animal that he was on the field in terms of he was never dirty, but he definitely played in a way that uh, his teammates and opponents respected. And um, I've never seen a player uh, be able to process information as quickly as Luke in terms of, you know, alignments down a distance, formations, uh, tendencies in order to meet the ball where it was going before the ball was even snapped. So um, just a pleasure to, and an honor to be around Luke. Um, I'll share a quick story with you. We were, uh, we had drafted Luke into a, into a pretty 
full linebacker room um, with John Beeson, Thomas Davis, James Anderson. So there was a, it was a veteran room, and here we draft Luke in the first round. And and so as as we all know, those first rounders are going to play. And and so it was a little bit dicey early on. But one of the first things that stood out to me about Luke was where he sat down at the cafeteria table and and uh, and all the linebackers were around. And and so it was again a, a kind of a star-studded room. And he got up. And before he got up and left to go get something to drink, he asked everyone at that table if he could get them something uh, while he was up. And Rome knows that that wasn't just, you know, a one-time thing. That's how that's how he lives his life, and he's a true servant and um, mm-hmm. and so humble in his approach. It's incredible. I, I'm curious what you think. Well, you know what? Let me let me ask this before I forget because I love asking this question to guys who do what you do. Right, because I remember talking to Brady Hoke once upon a time, and he told me that if he wasn't a football coach, he wanted to be in the Secret Service. And and so I, I ask all you guys, if you hadn't been a football coach, and I'm sure that's really hard for you to imagine at this point, you know, how far down the road you are and how successful you've been. But if you hadn't been a football coach, what else would Sean McDermott be doing? Well, uh, great question. I ask myself that all the time now, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, especially after losses. Right? <laughs> no, it's uh. Yeah, I mean, so I had a, uh, I was a finance major, business finance major in college, and and had a uh, <clears throat> had a job uh, locked up with with uh, an accounting firm, uh, Price Waterhouse Coopers at the time, and and so I I kind of forewent that opportunity to to start coaching. But you know, even now as as I've grown and changed, I, you know, I think often about that, and because uh, at some point, you know, this this career will end, uh, whether it's by my own choice or somebody else's choice, and. And uh, I think often about opening up, uh, you know, uh, uh, I'm big into fitness, as we discussed, and opening like uh, opening up like a hot yoga studio or, or something like that, or maybe even going into uh, some combination of ministry and, and that or something. I don't know how that works or how, what that looks like exactly, but uh, just two things that I'm passionate about is my, uh, is my faith and, and fitness. So uh, we'll see if that's in the future for me. No, Coach, I mean, it's definitely – it's right up your alley. So I, we're going to, before we let you go, because I'm going to, I want you to share with them a little bit, because this is just, I got to just draw a picture for all you people that don't have Sean McDermott in front of your room, right? The competitiveness about him, the fireness that he really tries to hold back and really trying to be reserved and calm most of the time, but he can't help himself, right? So when the things that fires him up, all right, the stories that resonate, like every time I think of Sean McDermott is this one story. When I guess when he was in high school, and he's a wrestler, right? Oh, that's right, a really good one. He's too. a really good yeah. wrestler, right? All right, that's his thing. All right, he he's a football player. He's okay. Wrestler is his thing. Then he has this one guy that he's looking up to, and he puts two sticks of the the smelling wow, salts. <laughs> two sticks of smelling salts up his nose, and Sean's like, you know what? I thought I was ready. That guy's ready. And I think from <laughs> from there on, that's like his standard. Really? Like that's it. Yeah, that's the stand. That's what relentless looks like to me, right? When you're, so I was I was watching these these two guys wrestle, big match when I was younger, and it was high school wrestling match, and and uh, you know this guy was just when you talk about relentless, he was in intensity. He, he took before the match two smelling salts and and stuffed them up his nostrils, and uh, he went out and kicked the guys kicked the guys tail, and and uh, to me that's that's my picture of of intensity and relentlessness. So. Uh, that's what I asked Rome to do. He did, he did, he decided not to do that though. I don't know I don't know why. 
So what what I just learned there is that it's not only Adam Gase hitting the smelling salts on the sideline. That's what I just learned. Maybe that's yeah, just me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've gotten away from that. From that but, that's but, tremendous. Uh, yeah. No, it's uh, look. Hey, you, sometimes sometimes you gotta do things to motivate your guys. I remember that was I think that was before our opener, Rome against Tampa Bay back uh, years ago. Yeah, I think it was. You told us this story, and I was like, really. Yeah. I love yeah, that. I love it. I've only got. I, t- it, I know I've only got two other questions for you. So, and and I'll start here because you're in Indianapolis at the scouting combine, and you know, as someone who has uh, obviously never been invited to the NFL scouting <laughs> combine, you know, I, I have a limited uh, perspective on on what goes on. But you know, we're talking to guys like you and Rome and Steve Smith yesterday, and I, I get the sense that. All the stuff that we watch on TV, like as, as impressive as it is to watch Makai Becton run a 5-140 and everything else, the most important thing that goes on in Indy are the things that we don't see, right? The, the interviews with the yeah. players and, and the medical. Is that about right? I mean, I would imagine that's the way that you guys see it. Yeah, that's huge. You're exactly right. Um, it's that, the, the, the personal relationships that, and the communication that goes on is, to me, uh, the most important thing for coaches. I mean, the medical is important. Um, that's kind of, you know, a, a sidebar to what's going on here. But those those interviews are important in terms of getting to know these players as people and, and ask the, the critical questions. I mean, I've heard news, you know, kind of rumors of, of coaches not coming or wanting to come out here next year or some already some teams have chosen not to come. And there's only a couple of them, but I, I I can't fathom not coming here where it's one-stop shop and you can get your hands on, you know, X amount of players, 45, 50 players out here and where you can interview them for 20 minutes. And, and not that you learn everything about them, but just that you get a chance to look into who they are. And, uh, and at least for us in Buffalo, that's important because um, what happens on the field is a lot of times is a result of, of the of the person they are off the field. So that's, that's critical for us. It is – the, the interview stuff is interesting, right? Because every year we, we get somebody leaked a crazy question that somebody was asked by a GM or an assistant GM or something like that. Like, it, it, what, what are you looking for when you're interviewing a player? What, to you, what's the most critical and what are you trying to draw out of a guy? Yeah, I mean, I don't think you really want to paint people into, into one box right. necessarily, but everyone, everyone's different. And so as you put a team together, as we're putting a team together again for this season in Buffalo – it's kind of like putting a jigsaw puzzle, puzzle together where, you know, one piece affects, affects the overall deal. And so um, just to say, hey, these are four guys we're going to add and, and, you know, just kind of blindly do that because they all check the boxes. Well, I don't think that's the way we, we – I don't think that's responsible. So, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to look at and get to know the personality of these players and say, yes, he would fit and he would be great paired with this player and and that was the one thing when you when I think back about Roman's career was you know there was guys in that room that may not have fit in other rooms across the NFL but when you have the types of leaders like we had with Roman and Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis Kurt Coleman just to name a few um, you know that piece is so important and that's that's one of the areas that we look for is do they have that innate leadership ability? Because that player-driven leadership, it's one thing as a coach to be mm-hmm. a leader, but uh, you need the player-driven leaders on your team to connect your message. So the last thing I've got for you is is the the, com- the conversation about the CBA, right? And you got Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson and, and Richard Sherman 
A lot of guys speaking out in opposition of what's been proposed. And, look, I don't, I'm don't. i not asking you anything to put you in a, in a difficult position. I'm actually more curious about, you know, it's it's ownership and the Players Association, right? Where coaches, does the, where, coaches are out there. I was going to say, the where, do they, where do the coaches They're not in, in this either one. They're not, in the C, they're not under the Players Union. It's a, it's a, The NFL is different than Major League Baseball. Right. No, I know that part. But I'm just saying as a coach, Sean, like where do you just actively avoid these conversations? Do you try to stay away from these questions? How do you as a coach handle this sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we really do. We we avoid um, basically those conversations because, and Rome knows this, right? Yeah, the players have their side, the, the owners have their side, and, and really as coaches, it's, it's similar to the schedule. When the schedule comes out, we make adjustments and we go with it. Um, and in similar ways with this, with the CBA, hey, they'll make their decisions and come to an agreement at some point, we hope. Uh, and then we'll go by it. You know, we'll continue to execute what they, what everyone wants and what they agreed upon. So, yeah, we're kind of innocent, innocent bystanders, if you will. And uh, But it's all good. You know, we're, I'm grateful and uh, fortunate to work in this league, and um, I think it's the greatest sport going in the world right now. So, in um, the other cool piece is just being around great people, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. Roman or the guys I mentioned and, and the thing we got going on in Buffalo right now. You guys got to come up and see a game. Coach, I, I really I am out. this year. Me and Peanut are gonna come up this year when he gets a little time off from, you know, playing cops and robbers, saving the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah playing <laughs> cops and robbers. <laughs> That's right. uh, yeah. So, so, Coach, I want to give you a compliment first and foremost. Uh, talking to Kirk Coleman and some other guys, Levi Wallace, another guy, just really talking about how the little nuances that you guys do in Buffalo to be more of a player-driven team, right? Like, uh, you know, and being making sure the players are comfortable when it comes to the massages, the working out, because we all know it's uncomfortable and cold in Buffalo. But you guys do the little extra things when it comes to practice time and things like that to make sure the players are happy. Yeah, we do. That's big. I mean, even though there are palm trees right in front of our door, no, no one has seen them yet, but I can see them. We've got a couple palm trees that sit uh, right in front of our doors in Buffalo. And they're cold-weather palm trees, so when it does get to be pretty cold, they can survive. Um, uh, anyway, it's no, it's no, we tr- what we're trying to do in Buffalo, to your point, Rome, is is truly make it a transformational culture where, uh, as opposed to a transactional culture. I mean, look, we know it's a business, mm-hmm. uh, and so we recognize that. But you know, let's let's have some fun. Let's let's enjoy each other's company, and and let's make each other better. And and it, it is it's driven by our players. With with uh, we you know we bring in all the massage people, all the dry needling people. Uh, we've got an unbelievable facility where. The resources we have are are second to none. Our, our ownership has committed uh, tremendous amounts of money um, to to the players. Really, um, we've got uh, light therapy beds in there, all for them. And this is where I said the other day about when people come to Buffalo, they're going to become the best versions of themselves, whether it's via the draft or via free agency. Um, no one should ever leave Buffalo and play better than they played for us. And, and I fully believe that, and that's the type of culture we've built. Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. Now, now, Coach, talking about being a new coach, all the, the, the hard things and the, the tough battles of being early, whether it's you know making tough decisions like going with the rookie quarterback versus Tyrod, and I bring all that up to say Matt Rule, new coach here in Carolina, can you talk about maybe some of the things he's going to have to transition to or what it's like being a new coach in the NFL when you have not been a head coach before and you have your own program? Yeah, I've heard great things about Coach Wool. Um, Normal, just a touch from his time around Philadelphia when he was at Temple, 
um, Philadelphia was home for me growing up. And, um, but I've heard, you know, one of the best things he does is build a, is build a good culture. And, and so he's done it at two different places to my knowledge. And, and I expect that he'll do the same for the Panthers in Carolina. So it sounds like they're in good hands. And, um, you know, there is going to be an adjustment period because the NFL game, NFL players, and to some extent, the culture is, is going to be a little bit different that he's going to try and create or needs to create because these are grown men as opposed to kind of, you know, college young men. So um, it's a different game, and uh, I'm sure he'll make a good adjustment. Sean McDermott, head coach, Buffalo Bills, kind enough to hang out with us here on the Clubhouse Podcast. Coach, we've kept you long enough. I know you got plenty of things to do, and uh, we can't thank you enough. Hopefully we can do this again soon. Oh, that'd be great. Appreciate you guys, and, and uh, best of luck. Thanks, boss man. You know that, man. Appreciate you. Love you, man. Be good. Love you too, buddy. Take care. All right, big thanks to Sean McDermott for joining us here on Episode 3 of the Clubhouse Podcast. I think we're getting the hang of this, Rome. I think we're, we're finding a rhythm. I'm starting to take my shirt off. Are you? Yeah. All right, that's about time we need to wrap this thing up then. <laughs> I, I, we, you can do that in the confines of your own home. Great job, buddy. We'll do it again uh, next week. Hey, great job, Kyle. As always, man, let's do it, man. Let's a- keep it growing, man. Absolutely. We appreciate everybody out there for listening, for downloading. Uh, we will be in more and more places as this show rolls on. But right now, you can find us. Uh, on Spotify, and you can find us on the WFNZ.com website. And and as the weeks go on, you can find us on iTunes. You'll be able to find us all over the place, Stitcher, all the places you get your podcasts. So stay with us. Uh, If you want to keep up to date with us online, I'm on Twitter, at Kyle Bailey Club. It's at Kyle Bailey, C-L-U-B, and you? Our Harp 41. On Twitter, at Harp 41. And Harp underscore 41 on Instagram. Yeah, you got to line that up. Man. Yeah, yeah, I do. You got to line that no, up. No, 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 no. It's okay. Just just type it in. There you go. Fine, All right, so, so follow us there. We, you'll always catch the new podcast episodes on Twitter. And uh, we're looking forward to the next episode. Until then, for Roman Harper, I'm Kyle Bailey. This has been the Clubhouse Podcast. Clubhouse Podcast.